0: Well amen. If you haven't already, uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15 uh, sorry, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, two weeks ago, uh, we began a brief four-week series on our distinctives as a church. And uh, two weeks ago, we said our first distinctive was that we desire to be a church that Christ builds and is building last week. We said that our second distinctive was that we desire to be a church that lives freely. And tonight, we're going to look at our third distinctive, which is we desire to be a church that loves deeply. And just as living freely has many different facets to it, uh, loving deeply does as well Uh, when we talk Uh, When we walked through our distinctives that summer of 2018 prior to our launch uh, here in downtown Bentonville, uh, we focused our attention on loving our neighbors. Uh, That seemed appropriate for that time in which uh, we found ourselves. And tonight we're going to focus on loving one another, and next week we're going to look at loving God because it seems more appropriate for us to look at those facets of loving deeply as we move again towards particularization in a couple of weeks. Um, And you may be thinking, well, how does loving God and loving one another and loving our neighbor, um, how does that distinguish us from other churches? Because it it seems rather odd that loving God and each other and neighbor would be something distinctive. And you would be right. Um, But I believe as we walk through this passage tonight in John 15, and as Aaron walks through Colossians 2:16 through um, chapter 3, verse 17, um, that we are going to see that our love for one another and our love for God, uh, that Jesus calls us to, um, is, is not or may not be unique, but how we express that love is, is unique. And so what, what we want to do, the goal is not to set ourselves apart, As as the church that loves well or uh, has it down perfectly and nobody else does, but uh, our goal is that we would like to explain how and why we express our love the way we do. And so, as I said, our focus tonight is on our, our love for one another. Our text is John 15 that Aaron just read in our outline. You can find it in the back of your bulletin. Uh, we have three points tonight. We want to see Jesus, the friend of sinners. Uh, we want to see the friends of Jesus. And then we want to see the fruit of friendship with Jesus. So, Jesus, the friend of sinners, the friends of Jesus, and the fruit of friendship with Jesus, and as is our custom, let's pray uh, before we begin. Well, Father, we um, we believe that Your Word is authoritative, and it is inerrant and sufficient. And through it, You grant us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So, please, in these moments, give us ears to hear that we may be complete. And equipped for every good work. Use me in these moments as you see fit. And it's in the name of Jesus and for the sake of his church that I ask these things. Amen. And amen. I want you to think for a moment who are or who have been your 12 closest friends. Who are or have been your 12 closest friends over the course of your life? And I say that because I moved a lot up until 2005 when we planted here uh, in northwest Arkansas. And so when I had to look back at my 12 closest friends, I I, I picked them over a a large span of time of about 45 years, uh, and they came from... They came from like elementary school, middle school, high school, college, seminary, post seminary, Colorado, and then Northwest Arkansas. And they were all very different people, as I'm sure as you're thinking through those, that list of names, they're, they're all very different. Um, some of you have been fortunate enough to have those same friend, lifelong friends throughout, um, well, throughout your lives. And mine were all different, but they held some things in common. Uh, They were or are those um, on whom I depended and currently depend. Uh, They were and are uh, those in whom I trusted or trust or currently trust. They were uh, those for whom I held a deep affection or even now have a very deep affection, and they were those Uh, past and present, uh, to whom I was loyally devoted, and in some cases to a fault. I admit that about myself. Um, But time and distance and life stage and circumstances have had an effect on those relationships. Um, One of uh, those in my list spent time in prison. Uh, One spent time in a tank in Iraq some have, uh, some I've not spoken to over 30 years, for over 30 years, one, one of those relationships didn't end well, and, and some I continue to be in contact with, but the conversations are fewer and, and farther between. Um, and then fortunately, I had lunch with one on Wednesday. Um, and I'm sure if you took the time to come up with your list of 12, um, they too would be different, but they'd all be significant for For several reasons. Now I begin there because our passage tonight takes place in the midst of a conversation Jesus is having with his 12 closest friends. And I'm not saying that they were his only friends. We know that he had relationships with Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And I'm sure there were others that he, he had friendships he had growing up in Nazareth. But over the last three years of his life, these were the 12 They had spent time living together and eating together and laughing together and crying together and traveling together and fishing together and probably swimming together and having deep conversations with one another and ministering to others as well as uh, to one another. They had depended on one another. They trusted one another. They had a great affection for one another. They were devoted. Uh, They were loyal to one another. But Jesus was not their homeboy. Uh, He wasn't their homeboy. Actually, we never read of any of them actually calling Him their friend or introducing Him to anyone else as their pal Jesus. And that's because... He, while in every respect, being a man just like them, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, he was far more than that. Peter had declared and answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus was the Word made flesh. He was the long-awaited servant king. He was the Messiah. He was the seed of the woman who would crush the seat of the serpent. So again, he was more than their pal Jesus. He was Jesus, the friend of sinners. And they've gathered, they're in the upper room, and they have just shared a meal. He's instituted the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Supper. He has washed their feet. He's identified Judas as his betrayer. He's told Peter that he's about to deny him. He's told them that he is the only way, the truth, and the life, the only one that, that through which they might come to the Father. He's just told them that the Holy Spirit is going to come. He must leave so that the Holy Spirit might be sent. He's encouraged them to abide in him because apart from him, they can do nothing And here in verse 12, he comes back to a statement that he had just made previously earlier in the evening. And he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And it wasn't a suggestion, it wasn't pleasant advice, it was a command. It was his will for them, and it would take an act of will on their part to carry it out. It was something that they were going to have to commit themselves to. They would need to be, um, they, were, they were going to have to set their mind on it to follow through with it, to do what it is he had said. They were to come alongside one another. They were to put the needs of one another before their own. They were to seek what was in the best interest of the other who was sitting next to them. They were to help one another remain on the path that was best for them and and best for their overall well-being, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and mentally. And in case they were wondering if they had this question about how they were to do that or, or what it would look like, he adds, on the back end of that, he says, as I have loved you. And this love wasn't something that they would have to use their imaginations or to be innovative, overly innovative, or creative to exhibit because it had been modeled for them. It had had been modeled for them. His love for them had not only been a supreme example, but it had been a sublime experience. They had seen it, but they had been recipients of it. But it was the next statement that would distinguish his friendship from any others they might have. It would set him apart as the ultimate friend because his friendship was beyond beyond that human dependence, beyond the human affection, beyond the human trust and loyalty, it was based on more than just common likes and dislikes. His friendship had an eternal purpose. To use an overly used word, his relationship with them was intentional. He had come to save them, and others just like him. He had come to save sinners. And the redemption that he came to provide, the forgiveness that he came to offer, the atonement that he came to secure, and the life he came to ensure would come at a great price. And that payment of that price would be the greatest act of love possible which is why he said greater love has no one than this than one lay down his life for his friends and within the next 24 hours he would unjustly be betrayed and arrested and tried and found guilty and beaten and murdered for them, and again, for those like them, for sinners like them, for other tax collectors, for prostitutes and swindlers and idolaters and drunkards and revilers and thieves and slanderers, even for those who would be there standing and mocking Him as He died, And while Peter would announce in the sermon, his sermon at Pentecost, that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Jesus went willingly. He went willingly, and he had told them earlier, He said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And he did it without a word of protest. His love and his compassion led him to the most unselfish and costly of sacrifices. And you know it probably didn't click until after the crucifixion, but he hadn't simply said or simply commanded them to love as he loved them. He commanded them to love those he had loved. He wanted them to put the needs and best interests of those he had had done the same before their own. He had laid his life down for them, and so who were they not to love one another, and to the point of being willing to do the same, laying down their life for them. Now, while it doesn't say it, I believe the next two verses reflect Jesus' knowledge of what the disciples were thinking, much like we find in Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5. And I believe that because, like I said just previously, we we read of Jesus outing Judas. He's pointed him as the one who would betray him. and, And they had all thought he was one of us. And so naturally the question may have been in their minds, well, how do we know who the friends of jesus are right they would have been thinking much like john wrote in his first epistle it was probably the, that those phrases would have been going through their minds you know he went out from us but he was not of us for if he had been of us he would have continued with us but he went out that it might become plain that he was not of us so who who are his friends who are the friends of jesus So in verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. His answer is in two parts. And the first part is that of of action. It involves action. It's it's not a conditional if-then statement. He's not saying, it's descriptive in nature. He's not saying, you aren't a friend unless you do what I command you. He's describing for them, he's saying, you know, those who are my friends will in fact follow my commands. You, You know you are my friend because you are doing what I've commanded you. In other words, he's saying, My friends do what I command. And while we know from Deuteronomy 12 that the Lord expects us to fulfill all of His commandments and to to obey all of them and not to add to them or take away from them in any way, He also summarizes, we know Jesus summarizes all of the commandments with two and it's love God and love others. So I think it's safe to say in this particular context that He's saying those who are my friends love one another. Love those who who are my friends, love each other. And, and I think we, we get an idea be, of how profound this was for John because of what he writes in his first epistle. And I, and I want to read some of those things for you just so you get an idea of, of the impact of this statement upon John who was there to hear them. He writes, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. that night impacted John he knew what he was hearing the second part of the answer involves knowledge action and knowledge those who are servants uh, just do what they're told and they're rarely told why they're rarely given an explanation for the things that their master tells them to do but friends are different Friends are, are more intimate than that. There's this intimacy that, that, is, that is brought about through conversations that they have. And, and Jesus calls them friends because He has shared everything with them. And, and we need to understand that, that this everything is not inclusive to the point that they are now omniscient. What He's saying is that they now have, He has now told them everything that the Father had communicated to Him about salvation, life, and love. As he said earlier in John 12, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore I say, as the Father has told me. And later on, we know in John 16, just a chapter over, that he's going to let them know that they're going to know even more. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Why? They were more than servants, they were friends. Right? And his friends are just like his sheep. His friends hear His voice, right? He knows them by name. He calls them. They come to Him. He speaks. They listen and follow. He knows them, and they know Him. He's spoken. They listen, and they do what He commands, which leads us, of course, to the third point, the fruit of friendship, the fruit of friendship with Jesus. Look at verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus is very straightforward. Matter of fact, he couldn't be clearer. They didn't seek him to be their master teacher. He sought them to be his disciples. Right? Jesus didn't, uh, ch- they didn't choose Jesus to be their savior and friend. He chose to save and befriend them. Jesus, or I'm sorry, they didn't choose what it was they were to do. Uh, Jesus chose them and appointed them to go and do something specific, right? He was the initiator, and he says very specifically, go and bear fruit. So the 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 command or that which they were to go and do was actually both a demand and he also within that promised them success. And and what was the fruit they were to bear? And very simply, it's that visible, tangible, practical outworking of their love for one another. It was to be visible. Visible. And, and the fruit, he says, the fruit that you will bear in that that outworking of that loving of one another that, that, that you will bear is going to be uh, eternal. It's going to have an abiding significance. As he said during the Sermon on the Mount, he said, others he, he told them that others would see their good works and glorify God. Earlier in the evening, he had said, People will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what Christ is letting them know is that if you will do this, if you will, if you will love one another, God will be glorified and the church is going to be built as you go and as you love one another. And then he says, because he had chosen them... And because he had called them friends, and because he had appointed them to love and bear fruit, when things got tough, when when they were when they were in the midst of suffering, or when it was even hard to love one another, he says, What you need to do is pray and ask for anything in my name, and, and I will give it to you. The Lord will give it to you, the Father will give it to you. He he said he had not called them, he had not only called them and was not only sending them. But he is guaranteeing that they would would have success because they were going to do what he wanted them to do. And he wasn't guaranteeing their ease or their comfort. He wasn't guaranteeing a lack of pain and suffering or sadness. We know how most of them died. But what he was doing was he was assuring them that their fruit of the love that they had for one another, again, would be eternal Because it was that through which he would use to build the church, He he, he said, because he had loved them first and laid his life down for them, the love that they exhibited for others would, in fact, abide. And so they could, like Paul, these could be their words as much as they were Paul's words, that they could endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Right? Their, their love their love in word through the proclamation of the gospel and their love in deed through that practical outworking, uh, the, the consequences of the gospel and that love that they exhibit day in and day out would endure and as we mentioned two weeks ago and the gates of hell would not prevail against this church. So in, in light of this, We ask ourselves, what what does our desire to live deeply look like? How might we apply this, this command? And there are five things that I want to point out quickly. First, our commitment to love deeply means that we are not afraid to ask, are you a friend of Jesus? Right? We're not afraid to ask, are you a friend of Jesus? We're not afraid to ask, does Jesus call you friend? We're not afraid to ask, are you, have you acknowledged your sin and your se- separation from God? Have you acknowledged that there is nothing you can do in and of yourself to, to fix that, to remedy that situation? Have you looked to Jesus and Jesus alone? Have you looked to him in faith? And have you called on his name to to save you? Have you turned from your sin into faith in him? And are you looking to him and him alone for your salvation? Do you believe that you not only needed him, but that he willingly laid down his life for you? That's where it all begins. Secondly, our commitment to loving deeply means we're not afraid to confront sin. For us, as those who love one another, we're, we're willing to confront sin. So we know that we're called, we're all called to walk in a manner worthy of that calling that we have as friends of Jesus. And so we're not only friends, though, we're sons and daughters of the King. And so there are expectations that are there. And so ambivalence toward and avoidance of those weights and sins that so easily entangle us that we talked about in Hebrews chapter 12. Whether they be big sins or those little acceptable sins that that we label acceptable, to, to let them go is not an act of love. To not speak of them or to address them is not an act of love. And so wanting the best for others and wanting what is in the best interest of other people sometimes requires difficult work. It takes sometimes confrontation. It sometimes takes discipline. And it takes those things for restoration. It takes those things for the spiritual health of both individuals and the body as a whole. Thirdly, our commitment to loving deeply means we're not afraid to say, if you are a friend of Jesus, loving one another is not an option. Again, it wasn't, he didn't say, this option I give to you. He didn't say, this you know, recommendation I give to you. He said, this is a command that I'm giving to you. And it, and it is not only his will, but it, it takes an act of will, an act of the will on our part. It is something we decide and determine to do. It's, it's not mere, love is not merely an affection. It's an affection in action. And that requires close proximity. That requires knowledge of and intimacy with. It takes time and attention and willingness to involve ourselves in the lives of one another's and willingness to make the costly sacrifices necessary to put the needs of others before our own. And at times it takes laying down our own needs and laying down our own interests and laying down our own wants and desires. Because the lives of others are more important than our own. Fourthly, our commitment to loving deeply means we are not afraid of failing to love or to admit that we fail to love as we ought. And this is connected to last week, living in freedom. We know we don't love well, as well as we should and as much as we should, right? We can admit that. But being free in Christ means that that doesn't keep us from trying. Right? We're not fearing failure to the point that we just don't even attempt it. We rest in the fact that we are called to love those that Christ has already loved perfectly. And because of that, we are not only benefactors, all of us who are looking to to Christ in faith for our salvation, not only are we all benefactors of His perfect love that He expressed, we would say uh, His passive work on the cross. We're benefactors of his love, but we are also benefactors of his love through his active work in that his loving others perfectly is credited to our account. We've each been loved perfectly by him, and his loving others perfectly has been credited to us. So we don't have to put any unnecessary pressure on ourselves to love everybody perfectly, and we don't have to put pressure on one another to love us perfectly. We rest in Christ and His love for one another, but that frees us then to go and love one another. He set us free. Galatians 5, He set us free to love. Right, I can... I can love you and you can love me. Why? Because we don't need anything in return. It's all all been done in Jesus. And lastly, our commitment to loving deeply means we're not afraid of and are actually purposeful in remaining smaller. The love of Christ, the, the, the love that Christ calls us to is rarely it rarely takes place in environments that look and feel more like facegram or not facegram facebook or instagram <laughs> where people have hundreds of friends but no one really knows who each other are because all they ever see is everybody's best foot forward that's nothing more than a facade to hide behind And that's why we're committed to both organized and impromptu smaller groups throughout the course of a week where we might know one another, spend time with one another, and it's why we're also committed to planting more churches as our attendance grows. We are the result of that. And we would like to see that continue west and north, and who knows how far, right? We desire to maintain an environment that facilitates our love, or our ability to both love and be loved. May we we remain steadfast in those commitments. Um, Not only today and next week, but after we particularize and in the years to come. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Well, by your spirit, Father, and grace, would you enable us to receive this word with faith and love, lay it up on our hearts, and practice it in our lives for your glory and for our good and for the sake of Christ and his church. Amen.